0: After 12 years in the advertising space, my guest today decided to start his own newsletter to level the playing field and provide knowledge and insights that he learned through being immersed in the ad tech space. Most recently at Megaphone, Brian Barletta has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to understanding the landscape of podcast advertising. He's a big believer in democratizing knowledge and making sure everyone understands what goes in to effectively leveraging the technology that exists in the world of advertising. We recorded this on Clubhouse and Squadcast simultaneously, so you may notice a sound change toward the end of the episode. We cover a wide range of topics, including understanding what he calls the podscape when it comes to knowing who the players are. We start off with a lightning round in which he shares some definitions for some commonly used terms that you may or may not already know. He gives us a history lesson when it comes to podcast attribution, and we talk about the role that Spotify has since it's been investing so much money in the podcast space. His newsletter, Sounds Profitable, is the buzzword of podcast ad tech, and I'm so excited for him to share his wisdom in this episode. So let's jump straight in to the conversation. Brian Barletta, welcome to For the Love of Podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I'm so excited, man. Let's dive straight in. And this is an opportunity for us to do a simulcast. We are live on Clubhouse. And while we're live on Clubhouse, we're here and able to see each other as face-to-face as we can be through the power of Squadcast. So let's get started with this. I'm going to just do a lightning round of terms. And if you could explain what these terms mean for somebody that may not be familiar with some of these terms, that I know we're going to be talking a lot about and just give us as succinct as a, of a description as possible. The first one is host read and announcer read advertising. What do those mean? Host read ads
1: focus on you. Like right now, if you were to read something in this podcast, it's your podcast, you're the host. So that's you reading it. It has no bearing on how it's delivered. It's just that you, the host of the podcast, read it. And then announcer read would be if somebody that's not either of us likely, though I guess technically I could be the announcer, read an ad that that was placed into the podcast. So someone not actually part of the episode would be the announcer. Someone part of the episode could be considered the host. Variations of a host—you can consider a producer and whatnot, other people in the staff—but the intent is that one person is
0: part of the show, one person isn't. Got it. Okay, makes sense. All right, so let's talk about user agent, IP, and content; those three pieces. And I think you know most people know what the content piece is, but I think we'll be talking about that through our conversation.
1: Yeah. So the content relates to the the podcast itself. The user agent like, is the identifier of the application and the device that you're on. In podcasting, it's really very specific. It's only really the application itself. So if it's a browser, it'll tell you that information. If it's a specific app like Spotify or Apple, you're going to get that information out of it. And then IP address is the, I guess, like the internet address for your connection. There's a few variations of it, but to be super technical, most of podcasts IP addresses are based off of IPv4. It's something that we're trying to move away from as an industry, and it feels like we're failing. It's not as exact, right? Think of it like a a higher level zip code than the zip code that, you know, the seven-digit zip code that can go down or nine-digit zip code that can go down to your actual house. Mm. IP address, I would break down into the things we can know about it would be whether you're at home, on a cellular connection, or at a business.
0: Got it. Got it. So it's actually a bit broader. It's not as, it's not as specific as say a zip code could be. Is that right? I mean, a, an IPv4
1: address can tell you the digital identification of the house, but it's less accurate, right? IPv6, another version of that can tell you down to the specific device. And for geo lookup, it's usually a little bit more accurate.
0: Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay, cool. All right. Here's the, here's the, uh, the buzzword that everybody's talking about dynamic ad insertion DAI. What is that?
1: Yeah, that is really focused around the ability to take a evergreen piece of content like this podcast and insert content or ads into it based on user action. So my podcast actually just launched today and I wrote a whole article on soundsprofitable.com about it because it has eight pieces of dynamic insertion. And the intent is to like the first piece will, will be different based on the month you're listening to, because it's about my product Deep Dive series. The second piece where I have all of my sponsors that I read one line about them on, and so it rotates, so everybody gets a fair share instead of me reading a long list of sponsors. But then it gets even further. It allows me to identify and target things about your device, whether you're on Apple or Spotify, your country, whether you've subscribed or not. So dynamic ad insertion is the concept of targeting content or ads in real time to the download, taking into account all of the information
0: we know about the listener. Mm, How does that differ from programmatic? Give us the nuance there. What's the difference?
1: So programmatic would be more about the type of response, right? So programmatic is basically used through dynamic ad insertion so that when a request is made for the download. That hosting provider makes a call out to a programmatic partner and that partner can respond back uh, with any ad that fits the criteria that's been configured. So that would definitely be announcer red. There's not a lot of ways in like the open marketplace for you to be, have your own ad come back to you. So most of the programmatic that you'd experience in that case, open marketplace would be announcer. However, programmatic really is just this focus on calling another ad server to decision. So say, for example, you were NPR
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: someone who works at a big media agency wants to buy inventory from you. They can engage with you through programmatic, which is just the way of them trying to buy your inventory. And you could provide them the ad creative for them to serve into your platform. So you can control it. It doesn't have to be completely open. That's how a lot of people think about it. But programmatic is really just letting your hosting provider and ad server call someone else's hosting provider and ad server to determine what ad is available.
0: Got it, got it. Okay, so let's talk about podcast attribution because I think that's another hot topic that we could explore. So like, let's define it and then we'll go into the details on it.
1: Yeah, podcast attribution is focused around identification of the exposed listener, the person who heard the ad, and then I'm mapping them back down to a household and then working to identify if anybody in that household on any device that can be tracked made the action that people were attempting to run the campaign against. So if I heard an ad and it was for a product my wife wanted and I told her about it and then she went and purchased it at a retail location, it's possible that that could be attributed to the podcast exposure because we're part of the same household.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Got it. And, and it, it is interesting. One of the things that I know you talk about is the household, right? As opposed to the individual. Why give that nuance there, the household, as opposed to the individual? Why is that important to think about that?
1: So IP address isn't going to get down further than your household, right? So my digital IP address tells me that I'm within one kilometer of my actual physical address. And everybody who connects from that IP address is going to get fingerprinted to a certain degree. Demographic information will be assigned to that user based on their information, but that user is just an IP address. It's a catch-all. None of the other information for podcasting is available. Now, when I go to Facebook or I go to other websites and they attach a cookie or get my mobile device ID, which is kind of going away, but if I do a login on like New York Times, for example, they have my personal info, but they also have the IP address. So Outside of podcasting, they can identify the individual, but in podcasting, unfortunately, and I guess not really, unfortunately, this is how it is. And it's super okay. (laughs) They can only really tell your IP address. They can't tell cookie device ID, first party login information, because all it is podcasting is effectively a file request, right? When someone presses play, it calls your hosting provider and says, I know their IP, their user agent and their content give me a file. So all you have to look up about this user is IP. So that IP is just household. There's no way that an IP can really be drilled down to an individual in a trackable way.
0: Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit more about that specific. I won't fire drill you anymore with, with terms. And now let's get a little bit more deep. So I want to talk a little bit about the evolution of podcast attribution specifically where has it come from all the way to where it is today just from a historical standpoint so we could get up to speed with why it is what it is today but also where it's come from.
1: I would say that the first attribution in podcasting really focused around vanity URLs or promo codes. And the mindset there was that the podcaster would have a specific code or URL to drive someone to. It's not perfect, right? Being very clear, if I was a podcast host and I had a, a, a client that really wanted conversions, I would take that code and put it on every single code website out there so that people would hopefully use it and I would get credit for it. Mm-hmm. But I also think there's services that just scrape that information anyways. So not, not a lot to worry about there. The evolution of it became pixel based. We're really driven by technology in the ad tech space. I, I'll say to the detriment of the space, we barely scratched the surface of the data that we have in total ad tech space. Yet everyone keeps clamoring for more. The idea that what's happening with Facebook and Apple is going to negatively impact a user experience is garbage because I still get ads for Amazon products that I've Mm -hmm. just purchased. Not even the accessories like upsell me at least, right? No, the same product. So they made a push for pixel based. And so what that means is that when your podcast host says this ad has been downloaded in the podcast. So if the podcast is 60 minutes long and there's an ad at the 30 minute mark, When the file download is exceeded fifty percent, that thirty minute mark, then server side, the pixel gets fired to a podcast attribution company like Podsites, Chartable, or Claritas, LeadsRX, LoopMe. There's so many in the space now; they're all great. And says, "Here's the IP, user agent, and the content of the exposure." And then they have pixels and other like pixels usually on their website, or if they're doing in person, like placed, for example that will allow you to determine if the exposure led to the conversion.
0: Mm, Okay. Got it. That's super helpful. All right. So let's let's talk a little bit about some of the misconceptions. Obviously, you got into this space after spending 12 years in in advertising. You got your start early by reviewing apps and in the mobile space. You were an early adopter there. And that led to a, a six-year career and stint into the mobile side of advertising, which ultimately led to podcast advertising and ad tech space where you've worked for megaphone, barometric and, and others what are some of the most common misconceptions people have when it comes to podcast ad tech?
1: I think that people assume that ad tech just has to be used for revenue driving ads. My podcast, for example, I have two actual ad spots in it. They're just mid rolls. And Basically, anybody out there, I encourage anybody to con- uh, connect with me that's from a, you know, uh, or is, is a person of color, marginalized gender, or has a disability. I will gladly. Elevate your podcast or your business for free in my podcast. We'll record an ad together and get it up there. But the misconceptions are that you can't use ad tech for more than ads. NPR has done a great job proving that you can do more than that. They've syndicated their local shows as part of the back end of their national shows. So if I listen to a national NPR show, the last five minutes of it, based on my geo identification, could be a local stations episode that's, that's using ad tech. They go in, they flight a campaign and you get the end result, the same thing. But people think they're like, Oh, that's content. That's content. It's the same technology. You're, you're doing it the same exact way. You're using the same interfaces. So I think that the biggest misconception is that ad tech has to have a CPM attached to every little thing. Ad tech's a great way to make sure that people listening to an episode you did five years ago get to know that you have a brand new book coming out this month or that you're on tour when the world resumes whatever it's gonna do. That's really my hill to die on right there that ad tech doesn't just mean advertising.
0: That's a great point, which is a great lead into why is it that you believe that podcasters should be taking dynamic ad insertion so seriously? And and I think to your point, you just illustrated one reason, but maybe you can provide a few more reasons why it's important to really think about that as a way to leverage the advertising possibilities that exist within that form.
1: Yeah. So... Think about if you had an advertiser that was great and you just forgot about it. It was two years ago and then they became racist. Like mm. now it's not a campaign in your platform that you can just turn off. You have to remember it's there. And if you don't remember it's there before Twitter remembers it's there, you might be done. Like you might get dragged through the mud for that. That's where we are on certain things, uh, right now. And, I think, you know, we absolutely have to call out companies like that, but I think that people lose track of things. So dynamic ad insertion is a brand safety feature. It's also a revenue saver, right? If you are right now selling only your upcoming episodes, if this episode we're recording right now is to drop tomorrow and you don't have it sold yet and you don't have copy in front of you, baked in, you're done. If it's dynamic ad insertion, you can focus on all of my downloads for a 30, 60, 90 day period. It doesn't matter which episode they downloaded. Maybe someone wants to go back and listen to an older episode. Even on a daily podcast, we see people going back and listening to older episodes. It's a revenue saver. It's a brand safety saver. And even if you don't use it, if you set it up and match the spots for where you want to do host red ads, it enables you in the future to use it. It enables you to gather all of the data you could want and make sure that when you do want to make that transition, you have the right info to present to people who want to buy into your inventory.
0: Yeah, great points. I hadn't thought about the brand perspective, but that makes a ton of sense. And I think giving yourself that safeguard is really, really important. So let's talk a little bit about what you call the podscape, right? So the landscape of the podcasting advertising world, wanted to see if you could kind of just give us a flavor of you, you had a great piece in Sounds Profitable, which is your newsletter, which is fantastic. Anyone that wants to get more information into what Brian's sharing today, definitely go check out soundsprofitable.com. So wondered if you could just give us a flavor of that Podscape, as you call it.
1: So the Podscape was a project that I did with the Magellan AI team. They reached out to me after having a bunch of sticky notes on their wall in their office. And they said they're going cross-eyed looking at it so they could use some help. We compiled the list. We made it huge. We all went cross-eyed. We decided to release it live, knowing that we would get tons of feedback about who we missed. And we were completely correct. We got a lot of feedback of the people we missed. We iterated on it. I think we put out a few different versions. And actually today, February 1st, we just released another version of it. The whole goal is to show the industry landscape right, from the business side of it, from advertisers all the way to listeners. Our goal is to show how everything connects and the pathways through it. We definitely copied a lot of inspiration from Luma, who does their Luma scapes of different categories. They don't have a podcasting one yet. They do have an audio one. So we thought it would be neat to do one from inside the space. And it's definitely interesting. I think we try and make it worldly. It's easy to to understand that podcasting is US focused. It is definitely US heavy. I hope to see that expand. But this is a great tool to see not only like how the flow works and the and what a category a company is in, which they definitely can be in more categories than we list them. We try to limit them to one each. But it also now in today's update, it shows the acquisitions.
0: Got it. So so what walk us through who like give just give us the flavor of who you told us some of them, but who else is in the overall podscape? So I guess starting with the podcasters producing the content, who else is involved that that make up the different buckets? If you if you missed any, I don't know if you sh- shared them all, but if you missed any, we'd love to make sure everybody understands the full scope of it.
1: Sorry, you mean for like where the podcasters themselves fit.
0: No, just no, just like, okay, so obviously the podcaster, they're 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 producing the content. So, who else? There's the podcast hosts. And and yeah, so just walk us through that and kind of just give us a play-by-play of of all of those pieces. Yeah, so this
1: lacks a publisher focus side in the sense that really the content creation is is one of the smaller squares because it focuses on the production houses and brand and content partners, right? This is the media side of it. This is the advertising side of it and the ad tech side of it. So going left to right, you're going to see all about the agencies, the different types of agencies and uh, from larger and smaller to ones that are direct response or are more consulting. You have media buying and planning tools.
0: So let's stop. Hold on just real quick. On the, on the agency front, like maybe just give us a couple of agencies that stand out and what specifically are they doing? I just want to make sure. I want to keep this as as basic as possible for somebody that is like unfamiliar with the roles of each. Cause I think people get a podcast host, they get the podcaster, but then what's an agency. You know what I mean?
1: Yes. Ad results. Media is a great example of an agency. Their sponsor sounds profitable. They're great to work with. And they are one of the larger podcast focused agencies. So they represent the brand or advertiser to get their ads placed on a podcast.
0: Got it. So they represent a company that wants to work with a podcast to get their their company represented and, and basically talked about on a show. Got it. Okay. And so what's next after that?
1: In the media planning and buying category, I would break that down to marketplaces and intelligence. This is one we probably need to move things around a little bit. The media planning and intelligence part would be partners like Magellan, is, uh, who who helped with this project. They're a tool that you can use to see competitive analysis of what other advertisers are doing, what other publishers are doing, how what ads are being run, estimated revenue, things like that. And then ad marketplaces is also under media uh, planning and buying, which is a little bit different. That's where you would actually buy inventory. AdsWiz is a great example of that, a programmatic partner that you can uh, establish a direct relationship with and um, purchase ads directly for anybody connected to them.
0: So, when you say buy inventory, meaning what exactly? You're buying. You're buying just because I want. Sometimes the lingo, I think, for and for all me, right. It,
1: right. yeah, I do way better in written form because I get to have somebody call out all the things that I make assumptions for. <laughs> so I appreciate you doing that here. Uh, basically in a podcast where you set available uh, where you set where you want ads that's considered inventory so ad placements and so if you work with a programmatic partner or a marketplace you can give them access to that placement whether it's just they sell into it in a, a kind of a manual fashion or a programmatic fashion where it's automatic based on your conditions that you've set
0: and so it's like the opposite of an agency in a sense. It's the podcaster can find people who want to advertise, find those advertisers and place them into their podcast. Is that a, a way to think of it or, or is, is, is that not right?
1: I think it's like the technology that allows it to be a little bit less personable on both the publisher and the agency side. So it can be kind of self-service there's definitely a lot of hand-holding that goes on there on a good way but it's it's a piece of technology where someone can list their inventory and someone else can buy the inventory
0: got it got it okay it's and as you said i think a really good descriptor is it's a marketplace right where people are buying buying and selling got it okay what's next and i and and thanks for playing with me on this one because i'm happy to okay cool
1: Media sales is the biggest category on here because there's so many different ones. Um, You know, podcast focus really means the companies that represent the publishers. So think networks, right? That's a, a great way to look at it. They're the ones that have their own inventory and are representing it themselves. Crooked Media is a good example there. Stitcher is another great example. So they have their own media and they represent it and they sell against it.
0: Got it. Let me reframe that. So it's basically there's there's all the, the podcasters and these are the companies that are representing those podcasters and, and finding advertisers that would work well with those specific media outlets or should say podcasts that want to find advertisers that will align with their mission.
1: Yeah, yeah, the more podcasts you get together, the easier it is to sell against that inventory. So that means that you know on one end, it's easy for someone from that network to go represent that inventory and work with people to like, to pitch people on buying it. Uh, And then when you get to a certain size, sometimes the advertisers just make inbound requests. Sure. Uh, Sure, I'm sure Stitcher and Crooked Media are two great examples of companies that get a lot of people knocking on their doors.
0: Got it. Got it. Okay, cool. That's super valuable. Uh,
1: yeah. I'll, I'll, I'm going to combine a little bit more on, on the end here. The, the, the next two sections cover broad uh, broadcasts to podcast publishers and diversified publishers. So these are just basically not podcast first. Um, they're still larger, right? There's still companies that have podcasting in there. But like a great example is iHeartMedia does so much more than podcasting. Same with NPR or Condé Nast. These are all partners that fit between those two categories is that podcasting is one of their many offerings, um, mm-hmm. whether it's all audio, uh, like NPR really. And, or if it's, you know, even magazines with Condé Nast.
0: What, and what was the name of that, that grouping? The two parts. One is
1: podcast, uh, broadcast to podcast publishers and the other is diversified publishers.
0: Got it. Got it. Okay. Super valuable. Good. Anything else on that list? Another
1: variation of how to sell is programmatic, which we talked about a little bit there. And this is just the inventory being listed itself. So it's you know these are platforms where if you're on the platform, you can choose to make your inventory available, and then people can buy right into it. It's like a, an ad marketplace, but a little bit more intertwined. The ad marketplaces don't have to have a technology component that that you host with, or necessarily. Um, whereas programmatic is more about the technical connections that make it happen.
0: Got it. Okay, beautiful, man. Thank you so much for giving us a lay of the land. That's super helpful. I have a question about privacy. So I think this is a definitely something that people maybe don't fully get and understand. What are the laws, and I guess we'll speak more in the United States, what are the laws that exist right now around privacy that we should be aware of, both as a listener of podcasts and as a podcaster? That's tough.
1: First off, I'm not a lawyer. (laughs) I got to say that first. Podcasting is in a weird spot. Your application is what you interact with or your website is what you interact with to access a podcast. That relationship is responsible for identifying your consent if you're in a place like California currently and the US that requires you to be able to opt out of your data being passed. If you look at a cookie uh, a request on a website to allow cookies or Apple's new request to approve sharing of IDFA, their dev- mobile device identifier, and cookies, which is similar on a browser. If you decline those requests, they still, the developer or the owner of the website still gets your IP address, your user agent, and the content. So the bottom of the barrel when you say no in these spaces is they still get the top level data we get in podcasting. The podcast apps are failing us right now. Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, they're responsible for identifying if a user has opted out. Then they have to tell us. It's not about opting out of each individual podcast from the Spotify app. It's about if I've opted out of Spotify or not. And they, they need to tell the hosting provider, and they're not. Because they're not telling the hosting provider, hosts make decisions, They make assumptions. They assume often in a CCPA territory that because they were given the IP address, then they have the rights to it. Some, not all in the GDPR territory, which is outside the US, mostly in the EU, they, and I guess it's further than that now, they will make assumptions that if they've received it and that's an opt in uh, area, like by default you're opted out. So the people operating in those countries will often take that data. And they'll say that they have rights to it. Each hosting provider is different, but they're the nexus of it. And no one is telling them what is or isn't accurate on that. end. So when it comes to it and it's time for prefix URL for analytics or redirect URL for ad attribution, if they have the IP address, they'll often send it out. Now, if they send it out and the other, the third partner in the line receives it, they now have to determine how they handle that. Because they didn't receive consent, do they throw out anything with GDPR? Do they throw out anything in CCPA? And each of them have to make their own decision. So that means you as a listener, if you wanted to opt out of the Joe Rogan show, you would have to opt out Spotify as an app, Joe Rogan's website probably, uh, and Megaphone at a minimum. If Spotify ever allowed third-party attribution or third-party tracking for anything, you'd have to log uh, opt out of the prefix URL, which it's kind of easy to find but not disclosed often and then the attribution partner which can't you can't really detect in any meaningful way mm. so we're talking about five points of contact where the user is supposed to opt out instead of these apps asking the user or providing a space for them and forwarding over that opt out
0: why why is the opt out system so broken i mean why is that why is that that way and do you see a pathway to fix it
1: the the only pathway is if the apps themselves get involved and i'm not seeing movement from that um i think that they're open and interesting to it but they're slow i reached out to apple they seem generally open to the idea but their app is baked into the os they can't just push a release like everybody else but it's very interesting that apple who's so privacy focused isn't leading the charge on that. It's very interesting. I I don't think there's a lot of options until the apps start respecting the podcast publishers and hosts, instead of just taking the content and taking claim for all of the growth in podcasting.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. Let's talk a little bit about Spotify, because I'm super intrigued that Spotify, obviously, you have to be living under a rock to not know the moves that Spotify has made but being that it's it's kind of got its own walled garden, so to speak and that you ab- you're able to get a lot more data as a result of just by virtue of being a member of their service, they know about you. Talk a little bit about your thoughts on Spotify, both pros and cons, especially as it relates to understanding the user base and and from an advertiser perspective. I think that the social
1: media influencer marketing category earned $10 billion last year. And that's a category where someone posts a video or a picture. And depending on how big they are, maybe they have the ability to post a link on their social media feed. And that is $10 billion in revenue last year. No tracking pixels, no clicks, no impressions for most of it, right? There's no meaningful way to track that unless you're doing it manual, right? There's not a lot of tools for it in attribution, especially user level and demographic level, like we're talking about. So that's 10 times the ad earning of podcasting last year. Oh, no. So if that space can do that with less data than podcasting, something everybody loves to complain about, how little data we get, then it doesn't matter what Spotify has. It's cool. If I was a Facebook marketer and I wanted to pay very high CPMs to work across Spotify's uh, inventory, very likely handling it at an announcer red, not host red level, then yeah, it translates one-to-one. But Spotify also doesn't do attribution. So all that data doesn't really help if you can't attribute it to something right? Like they're going to tell you that you are targeting this person and then they're going to grade their own homework. They're going to say, yes, Mm -hmm. we targeted exactly what you said. We cannot verify it for you. We're not going to break it down at a granular level. So if you trust that, if that's valuable for you, then that's awesome. But they're probably also not going to charge a cheap fee for Joe Rogan to record 10 different ads based on the 10 different demographic targeting you picked out. It's just, I don't know. I, I think that it's a neat offering and it works very well for all of audio and they sh- because streaming audio is very valuable there and they're doing everything they can to keep podcasting as streaming audio so they can keep control of that. But I just don't think it moves the needle enough for people. I think it's such a small fraction of the total inventory out there. I think it discounts how much reach you can get on a niche podcast. It's cool tech, but it, I, I, I think that it's more flash than value.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So, so you just mentioned something that I want to double click on, which is a fascinating figure to think that all of podcasting collectively, and I don't even know if it reached a billion, you might know the exact number, but what needs to happen for podcasting to even get in the same atmosphere as influencer marketing, which is 10 times the revenue and, and just the it's insane that it's 10 billion versus 1 billion what needs to happen what a, either podcasters need to do or advertisers or, or like what needs to happen give us maybe three things that you think would help us start to realize more overall growth in the podcast space
1: i think the biggest stumbling block that we have is we view everything in podcasting like we are less than digital display and digital video and and streaming audio when If you look at it, we got more data than terrestrial TV. We got more data than radio and we're similar to radio, but nobody wants to hear that. So I think podcasting has a problem where people make excuses before problems come up. Salespeople are under the gun to hit their numbers. So they excuse everything away and cut budgets and, um, and just make excuses to get the sale. Instead of saying, this is what it is. This is how it is. This is how we make it work. This is why it's uniquely valuable on its own. There are some intangible aspects that you're just not going to be able to measure, just like some other places that you're spending way more money. But the problem is, is if you stand up and say that the person next to you at another company is just going to say, we'll do it. Mm. We'll do it for cheaper. We'll, we have a way to figure it out. We can target down to the individual. I think we're our own worst enemy. And the stats that I saw were not 0.9 billion, uh billion, so just under a billion for um US and uh one point three or one point four worldwide, uh, which really shows how little we think about the worldwide aspect of podcasting. Because so many people say, ah, oh, we didn't hit one billion. You know, if it's 0.3, right, that's almost fifty percent that was done outside, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. If I, if I had contacts in, in an emerging market like Southeast Asia or somewhere that I could help them sell their products there. If I knew any products that needed help there, I would call Matchcast's great partner and a sponsor that, uh, that allows you to find inventory in Southeast Asia and I would just help them run podcast ads. There are untapped US markets. There are so much there's so much more available inventory there for cheaper price. I don't know. I think I think we have a very U.S. centric view, and I think that we are apologizing before a mistake is made.
0: The opportunity that exists in the emerging markets is insane. So for somebody paying close attention, I think there's uh, you've just thrown down a phenomenal insight in terms of the opportunity. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the, the floor to to kind of bring us home, Brian. Talk a little bit about, and this will be the last question why did you start Sounds Profitable? I mean, you obviously left Megaphone, you had a a long career in advertising, and yet you decided to go out on your own. So maybe for those that don't know, talk a little bit about your mission, like, why did you start sounds profitable? What is it for those that don't know? And what is what does success look like for you? And I know it's it's still early, right? It's only what been six yeah. six months. So but you got you already have thousands of, of thousands upon thousands of subscribers. So you're doing something right. So people are interested. So the floor is yours.
1: I think my goal and the reason why I started it was because i want to talk to more people about this i don't think i'm a creative person you, my podcast is me talking to somebody else about the same ad tech ideas that i write about and then evo and my buddy ian turned it into something way cooler and then i take it and i flood it full of ad tech that's accessible to anybody these advertising tools that we have available in podcasting are not built by people who you know championed double click campaign manager and the other massive tools At at other digital and advertising channels, they're built from the ground up with podcasting. They're all unique. They all follow similar guidelines, but a long weekend with all of them, a long weekend with all of them, and you could learn all the features. You could do any of this stuff. You can be creative without having to be necessarily like entertaining on your own. You can do cool things. So I want to get rid of the gatekeeping. I want to. Make everybody know from the salesperson to the account manager to the decision maker to the C-level person that these tools are accessible. You should learn how to use them if you want to sell against them or benefit from them. Uh, And I just want to break it down. I want to be the entire industry's sales engineer. My goal is for it to be free. I don't ever want to charge anybody to learn from me. I think that there are too many people in this space who don't have a manager that's actually managing them. They have someone that is accountable for their progress and is probably worse to them than the their person's boss. So I want to educate them. I want to fill in the gap where a company doesn't send a newsletter. I want to be the podcast for a company that uh, is in the podcasting space and doesn't educate their team on these topics. Um, And and the idea of charging someone at a company to learn that when like the, only the higher ups are going to be able to expense it and everybody else can benefit way more than them kind of bums me out. So I, success for me is continuing to grow my sponsors. Um, we have a a bunch, we have a really impressive number for only being, um, just over five months into this and every sponsor I make sure to spend considerable time with and do consulting hours with them thrown in for free because I want to give back to them for them, investing in me, investing in the ability for me to teach more people. Um, and I guess that's success being able to continue doing this, this not being something that fades out in 2021, but, I guess if I educate everybody to the point where they don't need me anymore and that's why Sounds Profitable goes under, I think I'd be
0: proud. Dude, love it, love it, love it. Brian Barletta, thank you for being on. You can find Sounds Profitable at soundsprofitable.com. So just like it sounds, Uh, where else can they find you or where else should they look for you uh, aside from there, Brian?
1: Uh, You can find me on LinkedIn as Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, Barletta. B-A-R-L-E-T-T-A. Uh, and then if you want to hear 50% podcast ad tech stuff and 50% tabletop role-playing
0: game stuff, you can find me at High5RPG on Twitter. Brian Berletta, thank you for being on for the Love of Podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, hello there. Thank you for listening to this entire episode of For the Love of Podcast. I hope you got some value and learned some nuggets about the world of podcast advertising and ad tech. Please be sure to sign up for Brian's newsletter, Sounds Profitable, to get even more knowledge and information to make sure you are well-informed when it comes to understanding this space. If you found value from this episode, please share it with your friends. In the end, word of mouth is how a podcast grows. So what's in store for next week? Well, I have Erica Mandy, who is the host and creator of The Newsworthy. She leveraged her years of journalism after leaving CBS as a news reporter and created an exceptionally popular news-oriented daily show where she shares the most important news in a fast, fair, and fun way in just about 10 minutes. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and can't wait to share it with you, so please check it out next week on For the Love of Podcast. And until then, remember, everything we do, we do it for the love of podcast.